Born Free Radio, episode 131. I got a question for you. Have you ever experienced one of these things? Have you uh, ever had something good happen in your life, like at work you got a promotion, or you finished a big project, or you had a birthday, and later that night you come home and you act out with porn? And you're like, man, things are going so good. Why did I act out with porn? Or maybe you got to a certain milestone in recovery. You got to 30 days porn free. And on day 31, you woke up and all of a sudden you found yourself looking at porn again. And you're like, man, what happened? I just got to 30 days. Why Why am I going back to porn? Or how about this one? This is, this is one happened to me a lot. Have you ever relapsed and then gone through the painful um, process of getting right with people, getting clear with uh, your accountability partner, telling your wife, um, going through the steps of consequence and some of the the things in your plan, only to find you, (laughs) once you get everything back together, a day later, you relapse again. If any of these things have happened to you, you might be suffering from an upper limit problem. In today's episode, I'm going to break down what an upper limit problem is and how you can get past it. All right, let's start the show. Welcome to Porn Free Radio. This is the podcast where motivated guys who want to quit looking at porn, get hope, and take action. Even if you feel lost right now or out of control, you can recover and live a meaningful life, free from shame and full of love. Now here's your host, coach and podcaster, Matt Dobschutz. Well, welcome back to Porn Free Radio. As always, I'm excited and I have Dunkin' Donuts coffee. I, I, I should just have a, an acronym that I just say at the beginning of every show um, I don't know, EDD or something, <laughs> excited with Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, that's that's how I guess I like to start every show. But I am excited today about getting into what the upper limit problem is. And I'm going to break that down. But there's a couple of things I want to share before that. Um, one, I want to share a couple of awesome tips that have come from Rev Group Coaching. Uh, one of the benefits of Rev Group Coaching is guys are sharing strategies and tools that they're they're using to stay porn-free with one another, and we all benefit. So there were two tools that came up in the last uh, couple weeks that I just loved, and uh, one of them's like a no-duh tool, but the other one's a pretty pretty ingenious little idea. And um, so I want to share those two tools in just a second. Um, And then the other thing I want to get into, I want to talk just a couple minutes about the Harvey Weinstein scandal uh, that's come out in the last couple days. If you're listening to this in the future, I'm recording this in October of 2017, and Harvey Weinstein, uh, the American uh, film producer and uh, mogul, you know, film mogul, just, I mean, has been getting dragged through the press with all of these horrible accusations and also, you know, probably some of the stuff that he did. Um, in his career against women. So I'm going to get into that uh, also. Um, And and then we'll get into the content of the show. So let me get to these tools from Rev. So guys in Rev are getting together every week. They're checking in. And um, and a couple ideas came up, a couple tools came up that I just thought were worth sharing. One tool... uh, deals with a common problem that a lot of us have. And the Harvey Weinstein scandal is a great example is um, a lot of us like to read news, right? So what we've ended up doing, um, you know, in just life is we start going to aggregator type sites to get our news every morning or uh, through a habit every day. So, I mean, a good example is like Drudge Report or Yahoo News whatever, whatever it is, CNN. And the problem is, is these sites a lot of times will have links to things that are, you know, inappropriate or start to trigger edging. And so even if we're in uh, a site that 
is pretty much 80, 90% okay, there's always something, there's some clickbait or something that can get us uh, following the rabbit trail uh, down towards porn and, 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 you know, starting to create the craving. And, uh, so, and I've heard this in coaching actually for years, like, um, obsessively looking at news, um, online just uh, puts you in an environment where sometimes you just start to, to, to either read stories that, uh, inspire craving or just click links that are totally aimed at, uh, aimed at sort of getting you, uh, interested by having something alluring or having a topic that's kind of um, edging. So uh, anyway, one of the guys in group came and said he figured out a solution for this. And we're all interested because this affects everybody. Even me, I had to get rid of the Drudge Report app off my phone uh, during the election because, uh, well, first of all, I was looking at it way too much. But second of all, it's like, Drudge would have these funny articles about, you know, Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or whatever, and so I'm reading them. But then he'd throw in a, a, a link to, hey, there's new advances in sex robots. <laughs> or, or you know, virtual reality sex is now whatever. You know, like there's some article, some sensational article about sex robots or, uh, you know, prostitution or something like that. And, I, you know, it's like I can't help but want to read that article. So even if I have, you know, whatever, some sort of noble intention to just be informed of what's happening in the news, um, I inevitably am tempted to click on these links. So I, I got rid of them. So anyway, the, the, so one of the guys from Rev came to his solution, and here's what it was. He's subscribing to his local newspaper. You remember that, guys? Remember when we used to get the paper to read about news and to read about sports and things like that? Yes, they still exist. And uh, they probably there's probably one in your town right now. So if you're struggling with sort of a news addiction and it's leading to um, craving, it's leading to clicking on things that you shouldn't, consider going old school and just getting the newspaper. There's nothing wrong with reading the news or staying informed. Um, but if you're constantly putting yourself in an unsafe environment, the newspaper completely disrupts that. And it even has less ads, uh, alluring things in it. I mean, you might still have a, an occasional ad here or there, but there just isn't as much stuff that's that's uh, getting you off track. I know some guys who talked about Yahoo. Um, it's not even the Yahoo that's the problem, per se. It's just the ads on Yahoo. So, guys, newspaper. That's a, a great tip. Here was one other tip that came in at Rev, and uh, this is another good one. They now on Amazon, you can get these, and I, I saw one on Groupon the other day. Um, one of the guys had installed a timed safe. So imagine a small safe uh, that has an electronic uh, keypad. And basically what he did is he programmed it so that it's locked uh, from, from a certain time period. So I think it's locked from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. every day. And you can't unlock it. You can't put in a password that unlocks it. Um, and so what he does at the end of the day is he takes his devices. Um, he takes a phone, takes um, the, the router cable, you know, the thing that actually connects the router to the internet. Um, and he takes, uh, I don't know, maybe like an iPad, whatever the devices are. And he puts them in the safe, shuts the door. And this thing, this is like some serious like Bruce Wayne kind of stuff. The safe locks itself. And then it's locked till six in the morning. And so there's no way to act out with the internet or with devices um, overnight. I thought this was a brilliant solution. Like this is something that you could, um, uh, you could put into your plan. This is something, the habit that you could get into. You could even, your last text of the day could be, you know, hey, I'm putting my phone in the safe right now and locking it. Um, I'll check in tomorrow to, to 
to let you know that I followed through. It's a tool that you could just use. And when you when you find a solution like this that completely eliminates your access, um, what ends up happening is your brain gets the message that this door is closed. And that obsessive part of your brain that draws you back to porn completely is disrupted by this. And so, so, you know, just imagine the difference. Let's say that you're feeling some pull towards porn and you go to sleep and you have your smartphone three, you know, two feet from you on the bedside table. Okay. Or this other guy, he's, he's putting his smartphone in the safe. When you roll over at 3 a.m. and can't sleep, when, uh, or when he rolls over at 3 a.m. and can't sleep, there's no option to grab the phone and start screwing around. It's like locked up. So, you know, his mind just goes on to something else. How am I getting back to sleep? Um, do I need to go for a walk? Do I need to read something? Whatever it is. Um, but for you, it's like right there. There's no friction at all. So I thought that that was a great idea and I wanted to share that. So those are two awesome ideas, the newspaper, the old school, and then uh, the safe that has a timer on it. Now I saw some of them on, I saw one on um, Groupon for like 40 bucks. I saw a couple on Amazon that were $100, $200. So it is an investment and maybe it's one of those investments that you make as a consequence. If, if you act out this week, um, you know, maybe put that in your consequence that you're going to get one of these safes and start using it as an active tool in your, in your recovery. So I hope that helps, uh, good, good stuff from Rev there. And, um, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I think there's two open slots in current Rev groups right now, and there's a waiting list for some other, uh, uh for some of the groups. So, uh, to get on the waiting list or to be told about any new spots, in Rev, go to pornfreeradio.com slash Rev, pornfreeradio.com slash Rev. Connect with some other guys who are on the journey each week, and I'm on the calls too, so you get you get a bonus of, of a little more of me. I'm sure some of you guys are like, enough, Matt. We have enough of you. But for other guys, I it, it's helpful to have me there uh, facilitating and and uh, and you know you know doing some actual coaching. Um, as a group. So it's group coaching. Um, go to pornfreeradio.com slash rev uh, to get more information and get on that waiting list. You know, back in episode 20, I covered a celebrity nude scandal. This is a few years ago. Don't go back and Google it. Um, you can go back and listen to the episode, episode 20. Um, but I talked about something that I had gotten a lot of questions about that week. Um, about a, a hacking scandal. It's where some photos of some uh, actresses and famous people came out um, and were shared on the internet illegally. And it created a big conversation about, you know, privacy and about, you know, nude pictures and things like that. And it triggered a lot of guys in the audience. And so I, I felt like I delicately talked about it. And again, this week, we have another situation where um, a huge celebrity, in this case, Harvey Weinstein, uh, the film producer and, and um, movie mogul, you know, it comes out that he's been sexually harassing, potentially assaulting uh, women for years, and Hollywood has kept very quiet about this, and, and women started coming out um, and sharing their stories with him and sharing their stories with other uh, people who are predatory in the in the film industry and in in uh, Hollywood. And so it's become sort of a national international um, conversation point. It's not just uh, it's not just about Harvey Weinstein anymore. It's about women in general and how we treat women, how we treat women's bodies. And one of the most amazing things that happened as a result of this scandal was people on Facebook and Twitter, women, started posting in their timelines the hashtag MeToo. The idea is women who in their history had sexual harassment 
or sexual assault in their in their background, they were encouraged to just add me too to their status. And so I don't know if you saw this on, if you're on social media, I don't know if you saw this, but it's like my timeline yesterday probably had a hundred women put the me too tag on. So either they, and some explained the story of how they were harassed or how they were assaulted. Um, others just put me too and didn't left it up. Um, and I mean, this was like family members of mine. This is women that I know from church, um, women that I worked with, um, older women, younger women. I mean, it, it was, you know, it was an incredible amount of people. Now, I'm a little more plugged in with this than maybe other guys. You know, I led a ministry for about 12 or 13 years at my church, which dealt with sexual things and sexual addiction, but also recovery from sexual trauma. So uh, a lot of the people who came to us had been sexually abused or uh, had been raped or there was some uh, just sexual brokenness in their past that they were dealing with. In a, and it was a Christian ministry, so they were dealing with it in, in their faith journey. And so, uh, you know, I've had an inter- interesting vantage point. I've worked with a lot of women and heard story after story of sexual abuse, sexual harassment, um, sexual assault. So, so I'm more used to it, but, but it's usually a conversation that's very private and there's a lot of shame and stigma. So it was amazing to see, you know, these Me Too's showing up on social media. And it reminded me of, in the ministry, we did a special night. This is after we had been meeting for months. We did a special night about, I don't even remember the title of it, but the the teaching was about blessing femininity. And it was about sort of honoring the good things of women and the good things that God had created in women. And as a part of this night, one of the things I would do is I would, before the women of the group, um, we would do a prayer time where I would just confess things that were done against them. And I would actually take on the, I would just um, ask for forgiveness as, as um, you know, their boyfriend, as their husband, as their father, their brother, just men in their life. And I would just, I would, you know, I would pray about it and I would just, um, I would just stand in, in place of those male figures and I would say something like, um, um, you know, I've hurt you uh, by speaking ill, ill of, of your gender, or I've said misogynistic things, or I've said, um, 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 or I've sexualized you, or, and, and, and then I would say, you know, please forgive me, or, you know, I would basically ask for their forgiveness. And it was a way for them to just receive um, an actual apology from a man to stand in the place of dad or to stand in the place of, of men who had hurt them. So this night would always, always be like an emotional explosion. I mean, just picture that old picture of like a a nuclear bomb going off. That's what it was like emotionally this night. Um, because women have very deep emotions. I mean, we all do. But when you are in a, when you create a safe environment for women to really feel pain, to feel all the wounds come up, and and then you're you're doing things like this, you're you're um, asking for forgiveness, and you're you're putting out the truth and, and acknowledging pain. I mean it goes to another level. I mean, we're talking weeping, tears. Um, it's loud. And so here's what would happen. We'd have the women come up. We'd start praying for them. Now, we did this in a very, this wasn't shaming or humiliating. This was very safe. So don't 
Don't be concerned. It was a safe night. Uh, again, we had been meeting for months, so it was a very safe group. That's part of what made this ability to do this. So we would pray for the women. I'd have the guys kind of move to the back of the room and uh, as we worked with the women. And I'd say, hey, guys, you know, just sit in the back, pray, just just listen, you know, that type of thing. And so we would go for, you know, that night and pray for them. And then then we'd break up into small groups. And so I'd take the guys back to our small group. Now, I remember one night, it was particularly raw. I mean, it was just at another level. And um, so I bring the guys back, and it was always interesting to see the guys. They would come in, and I was used to it because I did this every year. <laughs> but the guys were not used to it. And I'd bring them in, and they were shell-shocked. Like, literally, they didn't know how hurting some of these women in our lives were, like how painful some of these experiences were. And, and I would kind of play on this a little bit. I would, I'd kind of press it a little bit. I go, what do you think when you hear the we? I remember being in this one room. Now we're a room away now. We can still hear the crying. We can still hear the pain being expressed in the other room. I mean, it's, it's deafening how loud it is. And we've got the door closed, but we still can hear screams in the other room. And I, and I would ask the guys, what do you, how are you feeling right now? What do you think about this? And some guys would have anger, you know, they'd be like, I'm really pissed off at, at, you know, that, that this happened to them. And then other guys were more quiet um, and just really were kind of sad by it. And then there were some guys who I could tell were starting to come to the reality that some of the things they had done in their relationships, in their pursuit of porn, even in objectifying women, was a part of the problem that was out in the other room that was being expressed with tears and screaming that there was some complicity, there was some part of us, part of our sin, part of our uh, addiction was actually the same, was the same um, cause of all that pain out there. And those are the guys that I knew were going to um, start to grow in recovery, when they could really start to see their role in the objectifying abuse and assault of women. And um, and so here's one thing I want to tell you guys. You might not be there yet. You might still sort of, you're, you're dealing with your porn thing and you haven't quite made the connection that stuff that happens in porn, stuff that we do, this pattern of 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 sexualizing women and um, fantasizing about them, watching videos, that kind of thing, that that is the same type of thing that happens in real life, that that is part of the problem. And as you start to become aware of this, um, it's helpful to be in relationship with women who will tell you their stories that will break out of our fantasy life and where we can start to grapple with reality. That was one of the gifts of being in that room, even hearing the tears and seeing the tears, hearing the screams, is in some ways I went, you know what, I need to hear this. Because when I'm in my fantasy world where every woman is my sexual plaything, uh, when every woman's body is open to my gaze and open to my sort of uh, demented fantasies, um, I need to remind myself of the reality of what's going on, of, of what is the environment that women are facing dealing with men whose sexuality is out of control. So here's a recommendation I have for you. If you saw a friend or a family member 
post Me Too on their timeline. Next time you see them and it's safe, ask them about what happened. Really say, hey, I want to know what happened to you. I want to hear your story. And a lot of women will tell you their story. You know, I I was talking to a friend recently. And, you know, we're, we're not real close, but it was in a safe environment. And she had gone to the women's march. There was a women's march, uh, you know, after Trump got elected. And she was just saying how she went by herself and she felt really connected with the other women. And, and it, was, it was a real powerful experience. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, and she said, yeah, it was really important for me to go. Um, you know, years ago, I was raped. She just... She just happened to mention that. And instead of changing the subject or maybe even pulling back a little bit, I said, wow, you were raped. What happened? And I, and she told me. She, like, I mean, and it was horrific. Um, it was horrific to hear her story. Um, but as she told me the story, I just stayed present. I made eye contact. I saw who she was. And I I had empathy. I had true empathy for her. Like I felt some of the pain. But I also felt um, energized in some way that I was seeing more of her, the real story, that I was hearing the, the real thing that happened. And I wasn't reacting or trying to run away from it. I was just there in the pain, in the midst of her story. And as I've done that over the years, that's really helped me be more rooted um, in not accepting the lies of fantasy, not accepting the lies of pornography it's it's just it's it's just so much more grounded when you talk to a real woman about her experience being a woman and her experience even with sexual abuse uh sexual assault and sexual harassment so i recommend that guys if you want some some high high level advanced homework if someone put a me too in their timeline ask them what happened Well, let's get into today's main topic. Um, I started the top of the show by talking about this idea of the upper limit problem. Now, I got this idea from The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And uh, it's a book. And uh, it's kind of funny. It's a book that um, some mentors of mine had have read and recommended. And, um, uh, one of the guy's names is, is Cliff Ravenscraft. And he, um, um, he's a friend and someone I know, and he actually helped, um, coach me when I started this podcast. And so, um, so I listened to him and, and he started talking about this book a a month or two ago. And I was kind of passively listening and, and, um, I picked up the book. Actually, I downloaded the audio book and I started listening and it wasn't really connecting. Uh, and then I actually got the physical book and I started reading it and immediately it clicked. Like I started seeing this pattern in my life of what Gay Hendricks calls the upper limit problem. So let me, let me read this one paragraph where he talks about what the problem is. And he says, I have a limited tolerance for feeling good. When I hit my upper limit, I manufacture thoughts that make me feel bad. The problem is bigger than just my internal feelings though. I seem to have a limited tolerance for my life going well in general. When I hit my upper limit, I do something that stops my positive forward trajectory. I get into a conflict with my ex-wife, get into a money bind, 
or do something else that brings me back down within the bounds of my limited tolerance. So basically, Gay saying that he noticed this problem in his life where um, he had a limited tolerance for feeling good. And when he hit sort of the upper limit of what he felt was appropriate, he would do something that would basically sabotage those feelings and bring him back down to um, kind of the bounds of his tolerance, what he, what he could handle. And um, he describes it in the book actually affecting a lot of people, but he describes it as like an inner thermostat. This idea when we get too hot, when things feel too good, we want to do something to kind of cool down, to kind of bring us back down into sort of this limited tolerance. And he said this was programmed in us when we were kids. Like through some of the events that happened as kids, we got used to this idea of this is where we end up. This is where we want to be. We don't want to be too successful. We don't want to uh, uh, have too much good feelings. Like, And if, if we start to feel too good, we self-sabotage. Now, immediately when I saw this, that it says, you know, I immediately do something that brings me back down. I started thinking about acting out with porn as a symptom of this upper limit problem. And it was like so clear because I'm like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. And I was thinking about these specific examples that I said at the top of the show. Uh, The idea of, you know, you have something good going in your life. You finish a big project. You have an anniversary, a birthday, something good happens and you act out with porn. And you're like, why? I was feeling good. Like what why did I go to porn? Or my favorite is, you know, you have a real, you have a, a relapse um, right after you finish a milestone of recovery. You know, you get to 30 days and you're so happy or 90 days and all of a sudden you have a relapse on day 91. Like, what's that about? WTF? Like, why did I just act out? Um, or even when you have a relapse and you you do the hard work of connecting and reconnecting, get everything back in place. And just when things are stable, boom, you relapse again. And it totally fits in with this pattern of things feel too good. Things feel too safe uh, with recovery. And we do something that completely undermines and, and sabotages the good work that we're doing. So Gay builds this idea that the upper limit problem is actually supported uh, by four hidden barriers, and they're based on fear and false belief. So basically, we talk about this a lot on Porn Free Radio. There's these mistaken beliefs that are that are underneath the surface of our challenge with porn. And they kind of are the underpinnings, they're the pillars in which um, our problem rests. So these mistaken beliefs we take as real and true. We know they're not, but there's this subconscious part of us that just believes these is true. Now, I've talked about, for me, one of them was feeling unlovable, that that I had this feeling deep down that I was unlovable. And, and so whenever I felt that, um, porn was an escape to it, that the, the idea of porn would, would, help me, um, uh, would help me basically try to escape that feeling. Now, the thing is, is I took the feeling of being unlovable as being true and real in my life. And so in some ways, when I accepted that that was true, even though it wasn't, porn became an option because I had already agreed with the false belief that I was unlovable. And so there's a sense of when we agree with false beliefs, when we agree uh, with those things as being true and real, then 
acting out with porn makes sense. Like, it's like, well, I'm already feel unlovable, so I might as well do this thing. I might as well act out with porn. And again, that's like the upper limit problem. When we agree um, that, um, that this mistaken belief is true, it's a way, uh, it, that's why we self-sabotage. That's why we don't go to those heights of success that we want. So let me break down what he talks about the four pillars. Now, all these don't totally apply to recovery, but I'll break them down anyway. One of the, the, the biggest one that I think he mentions first is this idea of feeling fundamentally flawed, not good enough. This is probably where the unlovable part of me fits in. So there's this idea that, um, you know, our upper limit problem, this 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 thermostat that's been set um, that brings us back down is rooted in this idea that we're fundamentally flawed. Um, so that's that's the first one, um, and uh, the second one is disloyalty and abandonment. So this is more of a a success thing. Um, when we get successful, um, we kind of have this group mentality that that's like. We feel like if we're successful, like in business, uh, then it's somehow going to be disloyal to our friends and family who maybe aren't as successful. Um, so uh, this is a stretch for recovery, but I do think there's one thing that happens to us in recovery is we're worried about being alone and isolated. And so let's say we have to make some hard choices about our recovery. Let's say that we have to get rid of our TV or we can't watch a certain show or movie, um, or we have to look different or weird in front of our friends because we have this addiction, there's that sense of I'm going to be abandoned if I really pursue recovery. If I really do what it takes, I'm going to, I'm going to be abandoned, right? It's going to be shameful and humiliating. So that's why I don't want to um, that's why I don't want to be honest with people in my life. That's why I don't want to go to a 12-step group. There's that sense of I'll be alone if I have to do this thing. Um, all right, so pillar one is, or the barrier one is feeling fundamentally flawed. The other one is disloyalty and abandonment. We'll be left alone if we do, uh, if we pursue this path. Um, here's one, and I think this does affect a lot of guys, bringing, believing that success brings a bigger burden. Now, I've heard this with guys a lot of times where they're like, man, recovery's hard. I have to do all this stuff. And man, you know, like, do I really want to live like this where I have these, this plan in life and I do all these activities and it's like, oh, but I think deep down is this idea that, man, if I'm really successful at this, then my life's going to be different. I'm not going to accept the status quo anymore. I'm going to keep asking for feedback. I'm going to keep getting new awareness of things I need to take care of. I'm going to have to be more accountable. And it's the sense of if I'm successful here in recovery, it's going to be a bigger burden. I think that one affects a lot of guys. And then the last one that Gay mentions is called the crime of outshining. And he talks about this specifically with siblings. Um, when you're growing up in a home, there's this sense sometimes that you don't want to outshine your your siblings. Um, like, especially if you're like a gifted child or there's something special about you, you get this message of, hey, don't be too special. Just, just be one of the people. Um, and um, one of the, you know, don't, don't, don't put your head up. Um, and, um, you know, don't bring attention to yourself. In recovery, I don't know if this is as much of a thing uh, about outshining, um, but I, I could see where there is some piece of, um, um, I've seen people, um, one of the things I encourage people to do is to celebrate milestones. When you get to that 30-day mark, that 60-day mark, 90-day mark, do something to connect with someone, do something fun to kind of commemorate that milestone. I see a lot of people getting to those milestones and they're like, Matt, I don't know what kind of reward to do or what kind of milestone to do. 
And they're, they're really getting stuck on this. Like they can't allow themselves to even think of how can I celebrate this? Um, and I think there's a piece of that outshining that comes out there that, that sort of false humility or even a, a real sense of like, they can't really receive the good of what they've done, of what they've accomplished, because it's going to th- throw off their inner thermostat. So they do this thing. They don't actually do anything. Um, so, all right. So here, so let's just review. So you have, so there's the upper limit problem and that's, you have a limited tolerance for feeling good. That was wired in you very early. Um, there's only so much you can experience in terms of love, in terms of success, until you start doing things that bring you back down. And he lists in the book, uh, the, the the Big Leap, he lists a whole bunch of symptoms um, of the upper limit problem. Uh, a couple that come to mind, I don't have the book in front of me right now, but a couple that come to mind are like being overly critical, uh, worrying, um, he talked about, um, what's another one? Uh, let me see. Actually, I do have the book in front of me. Let me, uh, what's another one that he mentioned? Oh, uh, lying is one, a lack of integrity. Um, he talks about actually getting sick. He, he ties a physical connection of, of a way that we sort of self-sabotage back pain. He mentions a lot of back pain is due to, an upper limit problem. So he ties a whole bunch of potential symptoms. For us, it could be uh, some of those edging behaviors, that entitled feeling that allows us to look at porn or to start to go back to porn. It could be all tied, that could be part of the symptom. So when we identify that, hey, there might be one of these um, hidden barriers in our life, like feeling unlovable, feeling flawed, uh, believing that success brings a big, bigger burden, those types of things. When we start to become aware of those things um, and um, start to not believe them as true, not take them as true and real, then we start getting a chance to to actually um, move forward. And so I wanted to share a couple of takeaways that I got from the book. One thing that Gay says that I loved is, don't try to solve your upper limit problem. Dissolve uh, the hidden barriers. Like don't solve, dissolve. So instead of trying to figure out why do I do this inner thermostat thing, why do I self-sabotage, instead try to figure out what the false belief is that keeps making this uh, a course of action for you. So for example, in my case, once I discovered that I was believing the lie that I was unlovable and that a lot of my acting out came out of the, the feeling that that was true, I was able to start working on getting those needs met and being seen, being loved, being accepted. And I did that in relationship. And, and as I started dealing with that, it dissolved the pillar that was holding up that upper limit problem. And so I started becoming more successful. So don't solve, dissolve. Work on that thing that's underneath. Second, practice awareness. Start seeing the pattern. Don't just see it as, hey, I got tempted and I'm so horny and I acted out. Look at it as an upper limit problem. Look at it as, hey, I'm actually actively doing something right now to bring that thermostat down. I'm doing something to mute my good experience. Okay. And let's get to, here's here's another thing that Gay says in the book that I think is a great thing to ask yourself. In the moment you become aware that you're moving towards limiting or doing something, doing a behavior that's going to... um, um, disrupt this good feeling in your life. Ask yourself, what is the good thing that's trying to come through here? Meaning, I'm trying to limit something. What What's the potential? What's the good thing that could be 
um, trying to come through. Um, what am I, what am I experiencing in love and acceptance and success in recovery? Um, that's actually good. And where am I moving towards? Like, what is the good thing that, that might be coming through? Um, so for example, you know, if you have one of those successes, you know, really try to feel the success, feel the benefit of, Hey, I've been 30 days born free. What have I been getting out of this? What am I grateful for? What's the new awareness that I'm coming to? What's the new thing that's happening in me now as a result of this and move towards that. All right. I'll finish with one last thing that he says in the book. He actually talks about creating a mantra. Now, for some of you guys who are um, maybe more conservative Christians, you're you're worried that I'm going into, uh, you know, like some sort of meditation where you, you know, focus on evil spirits or something like that. It's not that. He's he just comes up with a phrase in the book that you repeat to yourself to remind yourself of where you're moving, of the good things that are happening in your life as you're feeling good as a way to counteract that upper limit problem. Now, he has a mantra that he mentions, and a mantra is just something that you repeat to yourself, you remind your conscious mind of, and as you repeat it, it gets into your subconscious. It becomes how you're actually feeling. It becomes your sort of uh, mode of operation. So I wrote a quick mantra that you can say to remind yourself that you don't want to use fall into this trap with the upper limit problem. So here it is. I expand in connection, confidence, and love every day as I inspire those around me to do the same. I expand in connection, confidence, and love every day as I inspire those around me to do the same. So let me break that down. I expand in connection. So I am, I'm not staying isolated and alone in my addiction. I'm connecting. I'm building relationship. I'm building friendship. I am staying connected with the, the people in my life. Um, I'm not isolating. I'm not pulling away, right? So I'm expanding. I'm constantly looking for new ways to stay connected, Right? I'm expanding in confidence as I get recovery, as I learn new tools, as I get more control of this area of my life, my confidence expands. I'm becoming more confident that I can do this. I'm getting more hope. And, I, and again, I'm staying connected. So um, I'm, not, I'm not worried that I'm going to slip back into my old patterns and isolate because I'm staying connected. So that builds confidence. And finally, I'm expanding in love, my capacity to love, to receive love, to have intimacy. Um, okay, so that's all happening as I move in recovery. I expand in connection, confidence, and love every day, meaning this is something that happens every day. This recovery is not something you do once a week when you go to group. Recovery is something you're doing every day. And here's the last part. As I inspire those around me to do the same, I am doing this and I'm expanding in these areas, connection, confidence, and love every day. But I'm also inspiring those around me to do the same. I'm creating a safe environment for them to expand in their connection, their confidence, and love. So my children, my wife, my coworkers, the guys in my men's group, as I pursue recovery and expand in these areas, I'm creating space and inspiring others to do the same. That's part of the goal. I'm creating an environment. Just like when I led that group, that recovery group, one of the greatest gifts of being in that group that I started was that I created a safe environment for people to come and get healing. And, and they expanded in their connection, confidence, and love in that group. 
partly because I inspired them to do that because of my own recovery. So say that, put that in your journal, put that on your phone, tape that to your mirror, tape that to your steering wheel. I expand in connection, confidence, and love every day as I inspire those around me to do the same. Add that into your toolbox and you will start to dissolve that upper limit problem in your life. You will start to realize that that thermostat can go a lot higher than your initial programming. Well, guys, it's been a great episode. Uh, get the show notes at pornfreeradio.com slash 131. That's pornfreeradio.com slash 131. I will actually link to Gay Hendricks' book, The Big Leap. And if I can find a video of him explaining uh, the upper limit problem, I might post that there too. Um, and hey guys, if you want to email me, uh, email me mad at pornfreeradio.com. Let me know if there's anything I need to keep private and, um, and let me know if there's anything that I need to keep private uh, in case I want to share your email on the air. Now, last time I got so excited recording my podcast I actually stopped drinking my coffee. And later that day, I walked past where I had been recording and I almost had a full cup of Dunkin' Donuts coffee that went undrunk, which was painful. So I've reminded myself now that I want to finish this coffee. So I actually have it right now. I'm going to take a sip. Oh, yeah. That reminds me of uh, the Grizz podcast. Jason George, I think he records in the morning. He always drinks coffee. Uh, like literally you hear him drink it. So that, that was a shout out. To, shout out to the Grizz. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm going to finish this coffee and uh, get going with my day. And I'm going to be looking for ways that I uh, uh, do upper limit stuff, the ways that I self-sabotage. And believe me, there's still things that I get stuck doing. Guys, as always, take hope and take action. Start dissolving that upper limit challenge in your life. Start seeing it for what it is. Start becoming aware. Be good. Thanks for listening to Porn Free Radio at pornfreeradio.com. To work with Matt one-on-one, go to pornfreeradio.com forward slash coaching and help us get the word out by subscribing to Porn Free Radio in iTunes and leaving a rating and review.